This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Aaron Moncur, CEO and founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering, who has over 15 years of experience in mechanical engineering and product development. Aaron has been involved in developing a wide range of products, from simple consumer goods to complex automated machinery for the medical device industry. In this episode, we'll be talking about productivity, time management, effective communication, and Aaron's journey from being laid off to becoming a successful business owner. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Tensar International. Here's a message from Tensar about their award-winning software, Tensar Plus, which is available to you at no cost. Check out Tensar Plus, the award-winning design software for construction professionals to design with geosynthetics and calculate their value on projects. Tensar Plus is simple to use with a powerful engineering system at its core. It leverages our decades of research and experience with soils all over the world, so you can count on your solutions working the first time, even in the most difficult conditions. Whether you're designing a crane pad or need to build a temporary road over muck, the cost, time, and carbon savings can be calculated. Making comparison with alternatives simple. Specs, reports, and product data can be generated for your design, and Training resources, research, and our third-party expert reviews are all provided conveniently in the software if needed. Usable both online and offline, the app is available in browser and on all major mobile platforms. Whatever you're working on, Tensar Plus is your toolbox for success. Aaron, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Nick. Super happy to be here. Could you just give us a little bit more about your background and how you got into mechanical engineering and product development? Always been interested in building things and just mechanical stuff. I would build like tree houses when I was a kid. And of course, the classic Legos, right? Seems like all mechanical engineers and maybe engineers in general just love Legos. So I always kind of had that aptitude growing up. And there is this one time I remember when I was probably eight or 10 years old, I had this Michael Jackson cassette tape, right? It was a cassette tape. So this was a long time ago because I was young and had this wild fantasy inside my head. I I was convinced that someone was going to try and take my Michael Jackson cassette tape and I had to protect it (laughs) at all costs, (laughs) at all costs. Exactly. So I came up with this like crazy Rube Goldberg contraption where there were strings and paper clips and coffee cans and drums and, and just weird things that if someone were to move the cassette tape out of where it rested, a series of events would occur, all mechanical things, and it would end in a loud bang sound, right? It was my alarm system. And so just things like that growing up, I was always into fixing bikes and things like that. And when I was a senior in high school, 
we were having dinner as a family one night. My dad said, hey, what are you going to do when you go to college? What do you want to major in? And I really hadn't considered it at all. I was into surfing back then. And that was like, that was about it. Surfing and hanging out with my friends. So I hadn't thought much about college and, and what was after high school. So he says, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it yet. And he says, you should consider being an engineer. And I said, okay, great. I'll do that. And that was embarrassingly about all the consideration I gave to it at the time. Luckily, my dad knows me pretty well. And that ended up being a really great fit for me. I didn't even really understand what an engineer was back then. But my dad gave me the suggestion. I applied to the major I got in and really enjoyed the classes and thought, yeah, this is a good fit for me. It's good that he gave you that little bit of background, right? Because how many times have you just said engineer and somebody's like, are those the people that drive trains? Exactly. You've just had this passion, right? From a young age, it sounds like. So could you just talk a little bit more about developing these types of products throughout your career? And then like, what's your process? Like, how do you get the idea and get started all the way to a product launch? There is a process for it. I think it's pretty similar to the way that most groups out there develop new products. We start by defining the user needs, right? And these aren't technical specifications. They're just, what does the user want this thing to do? And they're often not quantifiable metrics. They're more qualitative. Like, I want it to feel good in my hand. I don't want it to be heavy. Well, what does heavy mean? You know, what does feel good in your hand mean? So you start off with user needs and then uh, translate those in, into technical requirements. So not heavy translated into a technical requirement must be less than five and a half pounds, something like that, right? Something we can measure. And then I'll start developing some concepts. And, and oftentimes this is just a pen and paper or pencil and paper, just hand sketching some rough ideas out there. Might move into a little bit of, I call it cartoon CAD, right? I'm not detailing out everything in CAD. I'm just kind of putting some blocky shapes in there to get a sense of where things fit in 3D. And after that, start building some prototypes, doing some testing. Prototypes can be 3D printed parts. They could be machine parts. Oftentimes, they could just be cardboard and duct tape, right? I mean, really crude to start with. And once I get a sense for, yeah, this idea works, it does what I, I want it to do, then I'll go back and, and detail out my designs. You know, I'll put all the the screws in there, the little chamfered edges of the holes and, and things like that. They create uh, documentation for manufacturing, which is often just 2D drawings, and then transfer the whole thing to manufacturing. I think that process is pretty typical. There's probably nothing earth shattering there, but there are a couple of things that I've learned along the way that I do that maybe, especially younger engineers might not be super familiar with. And one is, is to create libraries that you can quickly and easily uh, redeploy. And this is across all engineering disciplines, not just mechanical. I'm, I'm sure folks in, in civil uh, have kind of the same thing where you're not starting from scratch every time, right? There are these elements in whatever your discipline is within engineering that you probably do on many projects. So creating libraries of those kind of foundational elements and then just being able to rapidly deploy them into new projects. And then the other one is, I kind of touched on this already, but in the beginning, I see engineers a lot spending too much time detailing out a concept, you know, getting it perfect, making sure all the, the tolerance stack is correct and all the little nuts and bolts are in there. And it's just not necessary. And in fact, it's not good practice early on in the, the concept phase. 
you just want to get in, put something really rough. That's why I talk about cardboard and, and duct tape even, right? Just something really quick and rough. So when you realize it doesn't work, you haven't spent dozens of hours on this thing. You spent a couple hours, right? You, I guess, fail fast is the, the phrase that's thrown around quite a bit, but that's my process. And getting to know quick, right? Which exactly you'll hear about in sales, but in prototyping, right? It's like, just get to, this is not going to work as, as quickly as you can and move on to the next iteration. As quickly and as inexpensively as possible. We've talked a little bit about the process, right? But as you and I were discussing earlier, right? Where you really excel is the execution. Could you just talk about how you're staying focused on your goals, staying productive, both personally and then as a leader of teams? I think it's really important to have systems that are aligned with your goals. First of all, it's important to have goals to begin with, right? You need to know where you're going. What does the, the Cheshire cat say? Um, if you don't know where you want to end up, any road will get you there or something to that effect. So it's really important to start off with knowing specifically what your goal is, what you want to achieve, and then having systems in place that help you achieve that goal. When I was younger, I thought goals were not very useful. You know, I, I thought I'm just going to work as hard as I can and it doesn't matter if I have a goal or not, because if I work as hard as I can, I'm going to get as far as I possibly can get. You know, the goal doesn't even matter. And what I came to realize was that's not true because especially if there aren't systems in place to help you focus intently on, on where you want to end up. And so what I developed over the years are, are little systems. And these are simple things, you know, like calendar reminders to work on a specific thing at a specific time and lists that I keep to capture new ideas and organize my thoughts and uh, eventually get translated into tasks. I think humans are not great at being given a long-term goal and just saying, go do that thing. We're much more effective when we can break things down into more manageable chunks, right? That's probably different for different people, but maybe a manageable chunk is, what can I accomplish today? Like, what do I need to do today in order to advance myself towards this goal that probably won't be accomplished for you know six months from now or, or a year from now. But breaking your, your ta tasks and your time down into these manageable chunks is, is a really effective way to go about that. I talked about lists, having some kind of method for capturing ideas. I use OneNote, it's on my phone. So it's with me wherever I go. And whenever I have an idea, it might just be a thought of something that could be useful in the future. I have a list that I'll, I'll put that thought into. It might be a task. I might realize, oh, I need to do this thing by next Thursday. And so I don't forget, I'm going to write it down in this list. And then at the beginning of every week, I go through this list. It's no good if you just put things in the list and then never look at it. So part of my system is at the beginning of each week, I take a look at this list. I also take a look at my high-level long-term goals and between those two, the, the lists I keep in the high-level long-term goals, I ask myself, what do I need to accomplish this week to move myself towards these goals? And then I just plan out my week. Uh, and I actually put calendar events in my calendar. So when you look at my calendar, it's full. It looks like I'm super, super busy. In reality, I'm, I, I'm no more busy than anyone else. I've just scheduled all of my time to make sure that the right things get done at the right times. And those are some ways that I stay productive. I'm also a user of OneNote. You know, if you're working within the Microsoft suite, another great tool is called Notion. 
I don't know that one. I use it very similarly to OneNote, but Notion definitely is a little more robust than OneNote, I'd say. To the audience, I would just say, you know, hop on, get out a free trial there and, and check it out and see what you think. That's a Microsoft product? So Notion is actually not a Microsoft product. It is web-based. Maybe the namesake of the software is also the developer, right? But not a Microsoft product. Nice. I'll check it out. Other tools, right? Sticking along with the, the theme of the AEC Tech Podcast, right? Calendly, not necessarily the use case that you're looking at, but for scheduling events, it is just great to be able to send someone a link and it shows them your pre-selected availability, right? To reduce the amount of back and forth. So if you're trying to schedule or collaborate with colleagues or or anyone outside the organization, right? A great tool to just schedule and, and get things on your calendar without too much fuss. Definitely love that. And speaking of calendars, right? Time management, a huge part of, of any individual or organization. So similar to how you kind of described, right? You have a system for lists and then some long-term goals and then short-term task planning to get you there. Do you have anything similar for time management, like a system that you use? That largely is my system for time management, making sure I have things actually scheduled in my calendar. I live and die by my calendar. If it's on my calendar, it's going to happen. If it's not on my calendar, who knows? It probably doesn't happen, but it's by no means a certainty. So I use that extensively and recommend it. A few other strategies that I use to, to manage time is I avoid distractions at all costs. So we all have a myriad ways of receiving notifications and, and messages from people, right? Maybe it's Teams or maybe it's text messages on your phone or people calling us or emails or whatever it is. There's so many different avenues for receiving messages or distractions, right? I turn them all off. I have zero notifications on my phone uh, for most of the day. I, I think I have it scheduled for uh, starting from 8.30 in the morning until noon, notifications are off. And then from 1 p.m. until 6 p.m., notifications are off. So effectively, my, my working hours, I don't get any notifications. doesn't matter who it is. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not answering things. If I need to reach out to someone, great. I'll pick up the phone and do that. And then during my lunch hour, you know, I'll, I'll like check messages. And if there's someone I need to get back to, great, I will. But I'm pretty avoiding all distractions. We have a hybrid work environment here. And so I work in the office a few days a week and I work at home a few days a week. And when I'm in the office, I know that people are going to be approaching me for things. They're, they're going to come up and say, hey, can you help me with this thing? And that's fine. I plan for that when I'm in the office. But when I'm working from home, I'm the only one there. No one can distract me. And I know that that's my time to really like focus on the things I need to get done and, and be super productive. And then the other thing is, is delegation, right? That's a, a common one, but I delegate as much as I possibly can, especially when the task that needs to be done is something that anyone can do. It doesn't need to be me. Maybe someone asked me to do it. Maybe a customer called me and said, hey, I need this thing. Great. If anyone else on the team can do it as well as I can, I'm just going to hand that off to someone else and delegate everything I can so I can focus on things that really only I can do. I'm right there with you. And uh, a good example. So I actually just silence all notifications at all times and just say, when I'm ready to check, I'll check. But a great way to, for those who might need, you know, whether it be like a spouse or a parent or a child to reach you, for example, on the iPhone, you can actually set certain contacts to be able to reach you no matter what. And if it's urgent, 
they'll call, right? But everything else can probably just wait. Totally. Yeah. I'm going to assume that most, right? Slack teams, um, whatever you're using has similar functionality so that you can just remain productive and not, not that bogged down and distracted. Yep. Kind of following up on, right. on the piece of delegation, right. That's some form of communication between you and your team. So what strategies are you using to make sure things are communicated clearly and conflicts get resolved as well as any misunderstandings? I used to rely really heavily on process and we still rely on process for sure. It's not like we've abandoned it, but what I've learned is that conversations are so necessary. You can't just have processes when this happens, then that happens, then that happens. Everyone understands the process. We don't need to talk to each other. Just follow the steps that a foundational element of process is super important and needs to exist. What we found was we use this online tool called Rike, W-R-I-K-E, for our task management, project management. And years ago, what we do is uh, project leads would just assign a task and then fill out the task and, and uh, assign it to a team member and expect that it would get done. We did an audit on this and just asked the team to be super candid about how they actually use this tool. And, and what we learned was that people weren't really reading all of the things that were spelled out in the task. Communication happened much more often by conversations. So a project lead might fill out some details on a task, write down, do this, do this, do that. But ultimately, it was a conversation between the project lead and the project engineer. That's how communication happened. So I think it's really important for people to just talk to each other. And sometimes it might feel like that takes longer and you don't want to invest the time to have a conversation because, hey, it's already written out here. You know what to do. Just go do it. I think human nature is such that it doesn't work. And investing the time to have these one-on-one conversations in the long run really pays off. There's a, a principle that a, actually a sales coach taught me a long time ago. He says, take what's on the inside, put on on the outside and talk about it. And that's been such a, a wonderful piece of advice that I've used, especially when there's some level of conflict, maybe just getting the opposing parties together in the same place. And let's talk about this. What are you feeling? Take what's on the inside, put it on the outside and let's talk about that. That's been really helpful. Another strategy I use is, especially with maybe hard conversations, like someone's asking you to do something and you know it's a bad idea and you know you need to tell them no, but you don't want to like put them down or knock the wind out of their sail, so to speak. Communicating with questions instead of declarative statements is really effective. For example, let's say that you're Han Solo. I'm Luke Skywalker. I come to you and I say, Han, we should get a dog. I think we really need a dog. And you as Han Solo know that Wookiees like to eat dogs. And so in your mind, you're like, that's a terrible idea. If you were just to say, Luke, that's an awful idea. We can't do that. No, I'm probably going to be a little offended. I resent that a little bit, right? But if you say instead, hmm, that's a great idea, Luke. I love that you're thinking about this. Did you know that Wookiees eat dogs? I'm going to hear that question as opposed to a declarative statement, simply no. And I'm going to think, oh, no, I didn't know that. Okay, well, that's probably not a great idea then. Right. So now you have helped me understand the logic behind why it's not a good idea without telling me in a declarative way, simply no. Now I understand the logic. And because of that, I'm going to be much more bought in to the logical conclusion, which is we should not get a dog because Chewbacca will eat the dog. 
by the way, I don't know if Wikisy dogs and just making this up, right? But uh, using questions instead of declarative statements, that's a great one. And then maybe the last one, which probably gets overlooked a lot, is developing good kindergarten skills. What are kindergarten skills? This is just saying please, saying thank you, sharing, right? Being polite and nice to people. These are so important in our culture, in our society. And I see oftentimes just the, those simple courtesies being missed, but they really count for a lot. They're very powerful over time. Oftentimes, uh, again, especially in, in hard conversations, I'll start, maybe someone sends me an email and it, maybe it's a little bit argumentative. I'll always start with, hey, thank you so much for bringing this up or, or whatever it is, right? Always start with thank you and mean it and then get into, here's my opinion and whatever. But using those kindergarten skills is, is very effective. You had mentioned that um, before starting your own business, you were laid off. Could you just give us a little bit of insight into that experience and how it led you to become a business owner? What advice would you give to other people in this similar situation? When I got laid off, I felt physically ill for several days. I started off strong working at this engineering company. I loved it, right? I got to do all the things I love, CAD, prototyping, building things, machining a few parts here and there, and it was great. And over time, I slowly became disengaged with the work there. The people who owned the business, they were very smart people, great people who worked there. And they realized, hey, Aaron isn't super engaged anymore. So 2008, 2009 rolled along, right? The whole recession here, and I got laid off. And like I said, I was physically ill. I remember my wife and I had just bought a home and we just had our first child. And I remember going home that day, leaning up against the door frame in, in our bedroom and telling my wife that, hey, I just lost our, our income and just feeling horrible about this, right? It turned out to be one of the best things that has ever happened to me. What I learned, and it took me years to really learn this, was that I am built to be a business owner, I get frustrated when I don't have high-level ownership over a process. I thrive when I can be not just a cog in the machine, but I can be the machine itself. And for whatever reason, that for me is is hugely fulfilling. I thought that I didn't like engineering anymore. In fact, I uh, started doing photography. A friend of mine and I, we started a photography company, did that for several years. This was actually in, in parallel with the end of my engineering employment at that career. I also started doing web design. I was looking into commercial real estate because I thought I just didn't like engineering anymore. My father-in-law pulled me aside after I got laid off one day. He says, are you sure that you want to give up engineering? You spent a long time training, going to school, being educated to become an engineer. He suggested, it's not engineering that you don't like anymore. Maybe it's just the way in which you were doing engineering. And I thought, huh, that's good advice and I should explore that. That's when I kind of learned that I don't love being a cog in the machine, but I do love being the machine. So that, that was kind of my story. And then I started just doing some freelance work and got a little bit busier and hired some contractors, got a little bit more busy, hired my first full-time employee. And then over the years, we, we're still a very small company. There are about uh, 20 of us or so right now, but slowly over the years, it's grown. And what advice do I have to others, maybe in a similar situation? Being a, a business owner is wonderful for me. I love it, but I think it's not for everyone. If you're considering it, I would stop and think about 
what it is you really want. You know, what are your long-term goals? What's going to make you happy ultimately? And then ask yourself if, if being a business owner is the best way to achieve that, or are there other ways? And maybe that is the best way for you. Great. But before just kind of blindly jumping in, understand what it is that really makes you happy in life, what it is you want to achieve, and then reverse engineer your way back, right? Is starting my own business the best way to do that? Or maybe I can still work for another company as an employee, but in this particular role, and I still get to realize these hopes and desires that I have for my life. There is a lot of talk, you know, if you've been on social media in the past, you know, X years, right? Five, three, 10 about becoming an entrepreneur, starting your own thing, right? Breaking away from the W2 life. But frankly, as we said, right, it's just not for everyone. Some people are, right, they are content and fulfilled by being an employee. Others like yourself, right, find more fulfillment in in kind of running the show and, and being an entrepreneur. So like you said, it all just depends and it's up to each individual to just make the choice that's right for them. It was really interesting when I was working at this company as soon as I hit 40 hours, I was done. You know, I was out of there towards the end. In the beginning, it was a little different. I was more engaged. But towards the end, at 40 hours, I was out. And then I started my own business and I was working 60, 70 hour weeks in the beginning. And I loved it. You know, it was so weird. It was like this switch had been flipped. It wasn't the time that was bugging me. It was just being in control of everything, having that freedom and autonomy that, that really did it for me. I guess one other thing I would mention, if you do decide to start your own business, my advice is to hire the best people that you can afford as soon as possible, because good people are the only way to build a good business. Any other final words of wisdom for aspiring entrepreneurs or individuals who want to pursue a career in mechanical engineering or product development? A few things come to mind. Uh, first of all, you can go... Being technically gifted as an engineer is important to a certain degree. And depending on what you want to do in your career, if you want to be the subject matter expert, great. You should focus on technical things. However, there is a ceiling. There's only so far you can go in your career with just good technical skills. If you don't have really excellent people skills, I'll just refer to them as communication skills in general. If your engineering skills are good, but maybe not stellar. But if they're good enough, you know, maybe they're like 80 percentile technical skills as an engineer, but your communication skills are really, truly stellar. You know, you're up in the top five percentile or something like that for communication skills. There's almost no limit to how far you can go. So I would definitely spend time learning to communicate well with others. And communication is not just talking, right? It's not just words. It's a lot more than that written communication. There's like facial expressions and just the tone of voice that counts for a lot. It's not just the words that we're talking about here. Another thought is to look for opportunities to be exposed to new ideas. That's been something that's been very helpful for me. And oftentimes books are the best investment. I've done a lot of things to expose myself to new ideas. I've gone to like seminars, certainly read books, listen to podcasts like this, right? And some of these things have been really expensive, especially some of the seminars. You know, you pay like $1,000 to, to go to one of these training seminars and you probably get something from it for sure. But then there are other times when I buy a book for $15 and whoa, 
I get these incredible ideas and my horizons are expanded just from this $15 investment. So find ways to expose yourself to new ideas and then getting down into some of the nitty gritty details uh, as far as being an engineer, especially if you're mechanical like me, uh, certainly learn CAD. SolidWorks right now is kind of the most popular CAD software for mechanical guys or civil guys. It's probably what like Revit and AutoCAD, something like that. So learn CAD and then uh, programming is also really helpful. I myself, I don't know how to program. I wish I did because it would really boost my productivity and help me in a lot of ways. But I think learning programming, some Python, something like that is, is a really powerful tool for engineers to be able to automate processes and systems and things like that. And I think some of the universities are catching on now where programming is becoming more of a need, even if you're outside of computer science, electrical engineering or computer engineering, which are the, you know, the ones that I know to be more heavy in, in programming, right? I agree. I think it's, it's great for any engineering discipline to pick up at least um, a touch of. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, thank you so much again for joining us today. If our listeners want to connect with you, talk to you, find out more about what you do, what's the best way for them to reach you? There are a couple ways. I'm on LinkedIn, Aaron Monker, M-O-N-C-U-R. You can also check out our podcast, Being an Engineer. It's on all the standard platforms out there. Aaron, again, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.